Hi, welcome to the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th TV series edition. I'm Vicki. And I'm Kim. And these are the episode credits for Friday the 13th, the series. Season 1, episode 25, What a Mother Wouldn't Do. Series created by Frank Mancuso Jr. and Larry B. Williams. Written by Bruce Martin. Directed by Neil Fearnley. Original air date, July 18th, 1988. So we're back with season 1. Episode 26, What a Mother Wouldn't Do. And the cursed antique from Friday the 13th wiki is a cradle that keeps an ill baby alive and cures them after the parents kill seven people in water. We have a warehouse connection, and Lynn McCormick, who plays Leslie, played Carol in Warehouse 13. She was the ex-agent who was married to McPherson. Oh, okay. The one they saved from the fire. And if you remember, Artie had a relationship with her as well, but she chose McPherson. So that's our warehouse connection. This antique is like a really convoluted antique. It's so specific. The parents have to kill seven people, but it has to be in water. I mean, who comes up with that? Right, yeah, but it was a good one, though. Oh, yeah, I thought it was a good one, too, yeah. But it was just so convoluted. I mean, fortunately, we know Uncle Lewis must have explained how it works to her. Otherwise, we'd be saying, how do you figure that out? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this one, at least it was clear that Uncle Lewis explained something to her. Yeah. So this episode begins with pregnant Leslie refusing to believe that her unborn child will most likely die and that her own life was at risk. If she sees that her husband seems to agree with the doctor, she leaves the office and wanders the streets and seems to be drawn to the antique store, but it's Uncle Lewis's store. So, at you know, at first, we I didn't know we were flashing back in time. You know, I thought it was just the present day in a doctor's office, but then we noticed it's Uncle Lewis's store. So she sees the cradle in the window and goes in, and Uncle Lewis asks if he can help. They have tea, and Uncle Lewis offers to tell her the fascinating story about the cradle. But I wouldn't be having tea with this guy. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. He's just so creepy. He's creepy. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, even if we didn't know Uncle Lewis, because we're watching the show, obviously, if he was just some random guy, I wouldn't be having tea with this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So they go and have tea, but we never actually get to hear the story about the cradle. But we jump six months to Leslie's baby shower, and it sounds like she talks so much about the cradle to her friends and family that they bought it for her. Yeah. We jump ahead again to Leslie sitting in a park with a baby carriage. So we assume she's had the baby. Then she kicks the carriage, and it rolls towards the pond. And she does this in time for a jogger to see it and hear her scream. So, of course, he goes after the carriage to save the baby from drowning. But the carriage is empty and Martin comes out of the bushes and hits the jogger with a pipe or something and the jogger drowns. And Leslie says that's number four. I thought the jogger was going to steal the baby. That's what I thought. It was going to be some kind of kidnapping thing. I think that's probably what they were trying to make us think. Okay. You know, and this is what confused me later. And then I realized, well, when we get to it, I'll tell you. Because I was like, what did he say? And then I kept listening to it and I thought I was mishearing it. It turns out I wasn't. So we see the baby crying in the cradle back in the apartment and suddenly stop. After the babysitter leaves the room, the cradle rocks on its own. So back at the store, Jack, Mickey, and Ryan are in the vault and it looks like they're cleaning. They find a letter addressed to Uncle Lewis. It's a thank you note for the cradle. Back at the Kent's, Debbie, the babysitter, reports that the baby seems sick, but then was fine. She leaves, and Martin talks about wanting it to be over. He isn't happy about what they're doing. 
He's upset about having to kill seven people. So with the mother, obviously I understand she's a mother and she's trying to keep her baby alive. I have no problem with this at all. But I think she'd be a little more sympathetic to us watching if she even looked like she felt a little bit of remorse about what she was doing. But she doesn't. No, not at all. He does, but not her. We're supposed to have sympathy for her because she's a mother whose baby's sick and she's doing all this to save her baby. But I don't because she doesn't look like she has any drop of remorse for killing all these people. I'm not saying she should let her baby die, but she should at least feel bad about it. Part of me believes that it was what drew her to the antique shop and to the cradle. Like it possessed her. Yeah, something was calling her to the antique shop, definitely. That's why she doesn't have, she doesn't have it like her husband had it. Yes, she definitely doesn't have any remorse at all, yeah. We learned that if they kill seven people, Alice and the baby will be fine. Jack finds a cradle in the manifest, and they find two names. One is the old lady friend who bought it as a gift for the Kents, and the other is the Kents. So they're going to split up in the morning and talk to the two people listed. Here's an entry for an Edwardian cradle. There's no address, but there are two names. Everly? What's that? Looks like Kent. Doesn't that say gift? Yeah. What do you think it means the cradle is all we ever hoped for? I guess we'll find out when we get it back. Tomorrow we can start on the two names. Look, uh, Ryan, why don't you check up on Everly? Mickey, you take Kent. I'll see what I can find out about the cradle. Back at the Kent's, the baby starts to cry, and the cradle rocks in the middle of the night. Leslie says they have to go out, and Martin says he can't. Now, this is where I got confused. He said, it's only been a day since the doctor. And I was like, what is he saying? And I thought I was mishearing it. And he was saying, it's only been a day since the jogger. Mm-hmm. Yes. But yes. later on, we find out the jogger was their doctor. Because when you talk to your doctor, especially if you have a certain relationship with your doctor, you start to find out stuff about the doctor. And if they, if he says something about he likes to go jogging in the morning, right. but then he would recognize them too. And he didn't. And he did. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he did. And that's why he went to reach to go get the baby. He went in the water to get the baby. I would hope he'd do that no matter who it was. Right. I think he would. But then I'm thinking because at one point there was no acknowledgement. But then again, maybe it didn't need to be. Right. Well, that's why I was confused when later he said, Martin said he can't go out again because it's only been a day since the doctor. And I was like, what is he talking about? And then later on, we realized when they talk to the, somebody in the hospital who says the doctor drowned saving a baby. We realized mm-hmm. it was the doctor. But I just kept, I kept playing it over because I kept thinking he was saying jogger, but I was mishearing it as doctor. I thought he said jogger. I was sure he said doctor, and I kept saying, what is he talking about? And then I convinced myself that I was just mishearing it, and he was really saying jogger. Oh, I heard jogger, so maybe he did say doctor. I don't know. Yeah, I think he did, but I convinced myself that I was mishearing it because it didn't make any sense. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like we said, Martin says it's only been a day since he killed the jogger or the doctor. We're not sure. And Leslie says she'll take care of it herself. And instead of going out, she calls the building super and tells him that there's water everywhere. So the super shows up and Leslie hits him with a candlestick. And she's going to hit him for a second time. But Martin stops her and says he has to die in the water. So now we know that they have to kill seven people and they have to die in water. So they shove his head in the toilet and the baby stops crying. Now, just a little while ago, I said how she didn't show any remorse. Mm -hmm. 
But now she looks like she's enjoying it. Oh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he had to stop her. She would have just kept hitting him with the candlestick. Yep. Which doesn't have anything to do with saving her baby. Right, because if she kept undoing it, he wouldn't have drowned in water. Right. He would have died just from the plunge of the head. Now it's like she's just losing it. You know? <laughs> so the next day, the babysitter's talking to that old lady who was the head of the baby shower. I can't remember her name. On the phone. And she sees the super's keys. But then she gets distracted by the door. And forgets about the keys she was going to just go pick up. So Mickey's at the door, and Debbie's the only one there. She tells her that she's trying to find and buy the cradle. And Debbie tells her that they'd never sell it. She says the baby never comes out of the cradle, and she's very sick. So at this point, I think we can add that they can't take the baby out of the cradle until they kill all the people. That's what it seems like. Right. So back at the shop, Jack has done some research into Edwardian cradles. I've been doing some research into Edwardian cradles, and one in particular belonged to a woman who was a passenger on the Titanic. She was bringing her infant daughter across to New York for treatment. The woman tried to climb aboard one of the lifeboats. Now, she passed over her baby in the cradle, and the people who were in the lifeboat refused to take it. During the argument, the baby and the cradle tipped over the side and fell down to the water. Suddenly, the two Davids collapsed, and the lifeboat was pitched straight down into the sea, and all seven people who were in it were drowned, except for... Except for the baby in the cradle. I liked that we found an actual story story. Yeah. We don't normally get a whole story. We get, you know, little bits and pieces. I liked that we actually got a whole story that made sense to what the antique does. It was like how they figure out what an artifact does at Warehouse. It made sense. It wasn't just, so I'm a wood chipper and I turn people into money. Right, yeah, this one did, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, I was so glad. So, one of the cradles belonged to a passenger on the Titanic. Her daughter was sick. She was bringing her daughter to New York to be treated. She tried to get the passengers in the lifeboat to take the baby in the cradle, but they refused. While she was trying to get into the lifeboat and get them to take the baby, the baby and the cradle fell into the water. And then something collapsed, I couldn't understand what he was saying, and the lifeboat with seven people sank and they all drowned. The baby in the cradle did not sink and were saved. That makes total sense to what's going on. Right. I mean, if we were left to figure it out, if Uncle Lewis didn't tell them how it worked, I mean, trying to figure out how it worked would still be ridiculous. Because they know, and they know the whole story, it makes total sense to what's happening. Right. I think. So the Kents arrive home and catch Debbie going to pick up the baby. Debbie leaves quickly and tells them about Mickey asking to buy the cradle. Martin freaks out. Martin does a lot of freaking out. She don't like what's going on, but he also went. (laughs) He goes from zero to 100, and you're like, what? He's pretty calm, and then all of a sudden he's like, somebody knows, you know, he's screaming. (laughs) (laughs) He's funny. So Mickey and Ryan stake out the Kent's apartment building, and Mickey wonders what the cradle does. Back in her own apartment, Debbie reads a news story about the super drowning, and she remembers seeing the keys in the Kent's apartment. She goes back to the Kents and tells them about the article she read, and Martin notices her looking at the floor, and he looks to see what's there after Debbie leaves, and he finds the keys and freaks out again. (laughs) Again. (laughs) This guy, I looked him up because he looked so familiar. He was in a ton of Law and Orders, I guess. Because, you know, they use the same people all all over and over to play different characters. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's it. But there was nothing that I recognized 
on his IMDb, but he looked so familiar to me. So Jack goes to the hospital to try and get information on Allison, and Jack finds out that Allison's doctor is dead, drowned. He was the jogger in the park, like we said. So I don't know if they picked just some random jogger and it turned out to be the doctor, or they picked him because it was the doctor, because the doctor's going to wonder, you know, once their baby's cured, the doctor's going to want to investigate how the baby could have lived. Yeah, even if they did kill the seven people and it wasn't a doctor, the doctor still can't prove how the baby got healed. Oh, absolutely. I know that. But I'm saying that's going to draw a a lot of attention on them, which they're not going to want. Yeah, that's true. You know, because they did kill seven people. That wouldn't be the thing that she would be thinking about if the child got healed. That's not not what she would think, because all they got to do is to say prayer. To say what? Prayer. If you have some miracle happen, you know, the news is all over you. They could say prayer all they want. You're going to have news reporters. I don't think they want to be in that spotlight because they did kill seven people. I see what you're saying. Considering all the seven people would still be connected. Yeah, you're right. Not that people would figure out the seven people are connected to healing the baby, but they don't want all these people looking into their lives. Number one, because the doctor would wonder how the baby was healed, which would put a spotlight on them. Not because people would think they're doing something wrong, but one thing leads to another. You know, this family's in the news, and then somebody sees the news and says, oh, I saw them near the pond, or I saw them some Connections could be made. I live in the building, yeah. Yes, exactly. I'm imagining that they, they knew he jogged there, like you said. That it was planned, it was going to be the doctor. Originally, I thought it was just, they were just waiting for some random person to come by. Yeah, I think they were waiting for him. Yeah, they knew he was, he jogs in the park, like you said, and waited specifically for him. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Space, the final frontier, or is it? Discover the podcast of a couple of moms who love Star Trek and happen to have kids on the autism spectrum. Join Vicki and Elizabeth as we explore strange new worlds, the Star Trek Discovery series, autism, and whatever else comes to mind. We're Moms Going Boldly, and you can find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So when they see the lights go out, they get out of the car and go into the building. So Debbie's filling her bathtub. <laughs> of course she is. Hey, who didn't see this going Yeah. <laughs> And we see someone creeping around and then breaking into her apartment. The person tries to drown her. Mickey and Ryan hear the screams and break in in time to save her. Martin freaks out again when he gets back to the apartment, but Leslie says she won't know it's him, you know, because he had that weird mask on. Yes. Mm-hmm. And says they'll get her later. So Mickey and Ryan take Debbie to stay at the store. Mickey, Ryan, and Jack discuss what's happening in earshot of Debbie, as they always do. Mickey seems to figure out that the cradle must keep the baby alive. So, we know that someone tried to kill Debbie, and she told me what happened to the building super. And I found out that the doctor who'd been treating the Kent baby had been drowned. It has to be the Kents, but what do they get from it? They've got a sick baby. And that cradle saved a baby out there with the Titanic. It makes sense. Louis always had a kind of 
weird logic. Ryan asks the date when the Titanic went down, and it just so happened to be the anniversary of the sinking that day. So Jack figures that they must only have a certain amount of time to kill all the seven people. Yeah. Now, there were seven people in that lifeboat that died. Jack, when did the Titanic go down? Uh, tonight. The anniversary was tonight. It sank at exactly 2.20 a.m. So if the curse is in any way tied up with that anniversary, they've only got about four hours left. But what happens if we take the cradle before that? I imagine the charm ends. And the baby dies? I don't know. So there's a lot of steps to this antique. There's a time limit, there's how many people, there's a certain way they have to die. There's a lot to this one. Like we said, Jack wonders if the anniversary has anything to do with the cradle and how it works, and we know it does later. And Mickey's worried that the baby will die if they take the cradle away, which is valid. Right, yes. You know, I know their job is to just collect the antiques and not worry about anything else, but still, how could you not worry about that? Debbie hears all of this through the grate in the floor. She calls the Kents and says she knows what's happening and she knows what's the best for the baby. And she asks to meet Leslie somewhere private. So Debbie sneaks out to meet Leslie and she leaves a note. Ryan notices that Debbie's gone and finds the note. So all three of them go out to find Debbie. They see Mrs. Kent driving by and Ryan follows her while Mickey and Jack go to get the cradle. So Leslie and Debbie meet near a pond or a lake. But why would you agree to meet near a pond or a lake? Right. (laughs) Debbie wants to take care of Allison. She says that they're going to get caught and the baby's going to have no one, so she wants to take Allison somewhere safe. So Leslie hits Debbie and throws her in the water. Ryan tries to stop her and falls in the water, and Leslie tries to hit him with a pole. So he'll be the last victim, with Debbie being number six and Ryan being number seven. Leslie believes her baby's safe. So back at the apartment, Mickey picks up the baby and the cradle goes mad rocking and the baby's screaming. Mickey puts the baby back into the cradle and says she couldn't let her die in her arms. And Martin comes in and agrees with her. And he threatens to kill Jack and or Mickey. Jack tries to convince Martin that Debbie is number six and that he was probably going to be her seventh, which I actually kind of agree with. I bet you that's what she was going to do. She just got lucky that Ryan was there to be seven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. When I looked at that, I said, oh, yeah. I thought the babysitter and the husband were going to be the two victims. Exactly. And that aquarium, they were showing this aquarium because even when the lights were out, it was glowing blue. So you knew that was going to come into it at some point, too. Yes. You know? Mm -hmm. So Leslie gets home expecting to have a healthy baby, but she finds out the baby's still sick. As we go back to the pond and see Ryan climbing out of the water. So Martin tries to stop Leslie. They're running out of time. They don't think they have enough time. So he wants to hold his daughter before she dies. But Leslie shoots him. Now, when she shoots him, we notice later that he falls back on the aquarium. Mm-hmm. So he was actually in water, which would make him really the seventh, taking the place of Ryan. So she makes Jack and Mickey go out onto the balcony. So she's thinking she can push them into the pool below. Because now she just doesn't really understand. She thinks she's killed seven people. And she keeps saying that it was supposed to be seven. So she's just going to keep killing people until her time's up because... She has no idea why it didn't work. Right. It doesn't seem to occur to her that all seven aren't dead. And then she kills her husband, which I don't think it occurred to her that he was laying in the water from the aquarium. So maybe that didn't occur to her that he would count. I don't think it occurred to her either. Yeah. So she just kept saying, you know, you promised it was going to be seven. I killed seven, blah, blah, blah. So 
like we said, she takes Jack and Mickey out to the balcony, and she's going to push him into the pool. And then Ryan shows up, but Leslie's gun is out of bullets. So she dives off the balcony to be the seventh and save the baby. They notice that Martin's dead, and he's laying in the aquarium water, which we really didn't see until now. And Mickey finds the cradle empty. The baby's gone. So the next day, they're still trying to figure out what happened. Debbie's body wasn't found, and they don't know where the baby went. But in the last scene, we see Debbie, who's not dead, getting on the bus with the baby. The end. Mm-hmm. But Debbie made a comment, and the mother looked at her in a peculiar way. Yeah, you're talking way back in the babysitting scene. Yes. Yes, it's just the way she said, I love her so much or something. Yeah, I think the mother was jealous. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. If the story continued, um, she would have helped kill for the sake, too, if she had to. Probably. So that kind of leads me to believe that when she was listening through the grate, she didn't hear the whole story because it seemed like she was offering to take the baby because she knows what they'd done and they were going to get arrested and the baby was going to be alone. It didn't seem like she knew the whole story about why they were killing people because why would you agree to meet near a pond? Right. If she knew the whole story, then at one point she should have said, look, I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to watch you. You guys do what you got to do because I want to make sure that the baby is okay. I'm not Helen, you got to do this. I love the baby. Let's go. You're right. I kind of think because she loved the baby so much that she would have probably agreed to help them any way she could help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that completely. So, you know, because at the end we just see Debbie on the bus with the baby and we're like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you have to assume that, yes, Debbie's not dead. She made her way back to the apartment. She stole the baby. I think Ryan set that up. You know, didn't even think of that either. Yeah, that makes sense, except at the end he announced that they still haven't found Debbie's body. So I don't think Ryan would be keeping it a secret from Jack and Mickey. What I'm saying is, I guess most of us would have just assumed that she came in after, what's her name, jumped off the balcony and grabbed the baby with nobody knowing it. And because we were left to assume all this stuff. I went and looked in the book, okay. which I don't do unless I really don't understand something. The book, Curious Goods, Okay. We I don't use the book before we record, but if there's something that I don't understand, which this time, you'd have to imagine everything that happened, which is fine, but I thought it was weird that they would just do it that way. But in the book, it says exactly that. It sounds like the person writing the book had the full episodes. Like, you know, sometimes episodes are cut for time. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I wasn't that confused. We could imagine, but I wanted to see for sure if I was missing something. Okay. So this could also mean that it's only her opinion in the book, and I keep forgetting to mention her name, Elise Wax, um, and not a deleted scene. But you know what? I think I'm going to see if she's on Twitter and see if I can contact her and ask her if she's watching some uncut version. Okay. But in either case, whether it's a deleted scene or... It's just her opinion. I have to imagine she knows what she's talking about because she has interviewed quite a few cast members. So I have to imagine she knows what's going on. Um, That makes sense. But otherwise, I did like this episode. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Did I miss anything that you wanted to talk about? No, that was it. It was a good episode. Yeah. So I wonder, like, how many other missing scenes. Well, you know what? I did find one a long time ago, and I meant to bring it up. Remember? I think it was the Scarecrow one, maybe. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember at the end, we kind of had to assume that the kid was staying with the cop? Right, yeah, yeah. And they never said anything. 
Well, when I went to the book afterwards, because you were talking about the heads in the ground. Mm -hmm. And remember, I went back and the next week we talked about it because what you said you would have wanted to see was exactly what they wanted to do. Yeah. But the network wouldn't let them. Yeah. So I went to the book for that. And then I noticed that in the book, she says that the cop said he was going to take the boy until his relatives come to get him. But he never said that. So I imagine in this book, she's watching extended versions or complete versions of the episodes and not the ones that were cut for time for TV. Oh, okay. Because technically, too, we're not watching the official, right? We're not uh, watching the official Friday the 13th in the way. How do I want to say it? Like, you know how I could go out and buy a DV that's kind of like, I want to say like certified? I think more or less maybe something like with extra bonus scenes. Yeah. But these... it would have been nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. That's okay. That would be good. Yeah. yeah. Because it needs to be remastered because, oh, my God, some of it I can't even understand what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Did you notice what she was reading? Oh, you know, I didn't until the second time. Yes. Go ahead. Rosemary's Baby. Yes. I was like, is she reading Rosemary's Baby? (laughs) And I started cracking up. I said, yes, she is. Yep. You know, the first time I watched it, I'm barely paying attention. And the second time, it's like, she's holding this book upright. She must be holding it upright for a reason so we could see the Mm -hmm. title. Yeah, so I had to go back and look, but totally missed it the first time through. That was a good twist. That was a good beginning twist. I was like, okay. I just thought the baby would be just a little bit more... The baby was just way too cute. Yes. (laughs) And and nothing sinister in her. Yes. When she got ill... She was very cute. (laughs) Yeah, so that was the good part. Because I didn't want anything really creepy, creepy. Right. So I was like, okay, so... Because I'm thinking when I seen Rosemary Baby, it was going to be creepy, creepy. But it wasn't creepy because she was a beautiful little girl. Yeah. I was like, okay... I can deal with this. Yeah, but I don't think we ever saw the baby in Rosemary's Baby, did we? I don't think I ever seen the whole thing. I'm pretty sure they never showed the baby. At the end, Mia Farrell looks in the cradle, and she makes the shocked face, but they never show us the baby. Okay. I think I get to a certain point, then I get bored, and then after I'm doing something else. I never I never completely watched it. I think I don't even know if I made it past the pregnancy um, after she gave birth. Well, that's the end, pretty much. I mean, it doesn't go much past after she gave birth. So you probably saw almost the whole thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. She gives birth. Spoilers for people who haven't seen it. And if you haven't seen it at this point, <laughs> I think you're going to see it. But <laughs> if I remember, because I haven't seen it in years, she gives birth. The cult is all around when she wants to see the baby. And she looks in the cradle and she's shocked. And I think it ends right there. So you don't know if she's going to... I'm trying to remember if we know that she's going to take care of the baby or if we don't. I can't even remember anymore. But that's it. They never show anything after the baby's born. Oh, okay. So I don't, I don't think you missed much. I think you got almost all the way <laughs> through it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm glad this baby wasn't creepy looking or evil looking. Mm-hmm. It was cute. All right. So we'll be back shortly for the last episode of season one. And I can't remember the name of it, but we'll see you shortly. All righty. All right. See you later. See you later. Bye. This is Doug reminding you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash 13th Warehouse, on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse, and on Instagram at Eureka underscore Warehouse. You can listen to The 13th Warehouse on our website, the13thwarehouse.com, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Theme music for the 13th Warehouse, Friday the 13th, the series edition. Suspense Night, provided by Anton Kornienko. Pixabay user 147-98912. Free for personal or commercial use. See you next time at the warehouse.